Women on the Line, produced at 3CR, acknowledges the people of the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers, and custodians of the lands from which we broadcast. We pay respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation, and we recognise their unceded sovereignty. Welcome back to another episode of Women on the Line, your weekly feminist national current affairs program and podcast. Produced at 3CR Community Radio in Nam, Melbourne, and broadcast on the Community Radio Network across so-called Australia. As 2022 draws to a close, we will dedicate the next two episodes to the Jin Jian Azadi or Women Life Freedom Protests across Iran and the world. Jin Jian Azadi which is Kurdish for Women, Life, Freedom, is the slogan of the protests. And in honour of them, we'll be visiting the realm of Kurdish poetry, which is central to Kurdish culture, life and resistance. On the 13th of September this year, 2022, a 22-year-old Iranian Kurdish woman, Masa Gina Amini, was arrested in Tehran by Iran's so-called morality police. She was violently beaten while in custody and died three days later. Masa's death has sparked widespread protests across Iran. Since then, the regime's state forces have brutally killed about 300 women, men and children in different cities. The demonstrations stem from Iranian Kurdistan, where the Kurdish people in Iran have long faced discrimination as the state continues to define what it means to be Iranian, what it means to be a woman and a man in its definition of Islam. As Sumaye Rostampur writes, the Jinjian Azadi slogan was chanted for the first time on the day of Masajina's burial by the angry people of Sakhez who had come to express their solidarity with the family and at the same time uh, demonstrate collective disobedience to the government's plan for Gina's secret burial. So Samaya writes that the slogan emerged from the Kurdish women's movement in Turkish Kurdistan, which had been at the time recently popularised by the radical Maoist Leninist Kurdist Workers' Party, or the PKK, in the 1980s. The liberation of Kurdistan is not possible without the liberation of women. Jin woman and Jian life have been used regularly together and Azadi, as Samaya continues, is one of the most important key words of the PKK movement in the context of gender. So these are um, slightly edited but words taken from an article written by Samaya Rostampur on the Translators for Gina website, which is the home of translation from Kurdish writers in Iran, offering anti-colonial critiques. But now, and for the rest of the episode, we turn to a conversation I had in mid-December with Kurdish Celtic writer and dancer Leila Lois, who has been living in Nam since 2018 after spending most of her life in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Her Kurdish ancestors fled oppression in Iraq in the 70s, and her parents moved from London to Aotearoa after she was born. 
In November, she wrote an article for the Overland Journal on Kurdish women's resistance in body and poetry. And we visit some of that history as well as some poetry that she'll share with us today. Tell us a little bit about Kurdistan. Kurdish communities run like across, I would say, um, Mesopotamia. You know, um, yeah. we've got these modern nation states today. Absolutely. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that? And yep. I guess the intra-Kurdish uh, solidarity. Absolutely. So the crux of it is that um, the Kurdish people have never been issued uh, nation status uh, since the Treaty of Lausanne and they were promised it since the Treaty of Nations and uh, World War One and World War Two, uh, successive world powers have never allowed us to have sovereignty for our land. Um, and the land and the cultures are spread out between, in modern-day nation-state terms, Iraq, Iran, Syria, Turkey, um, and I think that those are the main ones, but there are the diaspora is very, very wide. Um, there's kind of a um, self-sufficient Kurdish region in the north of Iraq that is probably one of the most, uh, yeah, one of the most concentrated and most self-ruling areas. And that's actually the area that my ancestors come from. So Slimania in the north of Iraq is their community up there. And um, they're able to uh, have mostly their own governance there, which is really good since Saddam Hussein and the toppling of the Ba'athist party there. However, throughout the whole region of what we call Kurdistan, um, there is constant genocide and um, seizure of, of land and uh, privation of rights and even speaking the Kurdish language by the autocratic and totalitarian governments over there, uh, and frankly racist governments. So um, just to give you a little picture, Erdogan uh, is uh, one of the worst offenders. He runs Turkey and um, is uh, constantly trying to encroach upon Kurdish land and commit genocide against the Kurdish people within his country, but also in Rojava. Um, and then, of course, uh, in Iran right now, uh, a lot of the motivation for the attacks upon um, women like Gina Masha Amini are not only because she was a woman, but also because she is Kurdish. And Iran has one of the worst human rights records against Kurdish people. So from, like I say, um, deprivation of basic human rights, from being able to speak their language in public, from being able to be employed, uh, from being able to take up tertiary education. And they've been countless times told by the UN that they need to include Kurdish, the Kurdish ethnic group in their country's, um, yeah, in their country's population rights but um, they consistently haven't done that so I guess that's the one that's probably the most relevant today um, yeah um, and this connection to land is is central I guess to the ways that people have like formed Kurdish resistance mm -hmm. a long time and I guess the connection to women 
and land Mm -hmm. has been like an old saying. I saw something written by um, a Kurdish writer from Balochistan province Mm -hmm. um, who was talking about the where Jin Jian Azadi, mm-hmm. where the saying comes from, um, and how it's um, it was popularized during the rise of the PKK, mm-hmm. um, but it's much older than that. Absolutely. So I don't know if you wanted to talk about mm. the Jin sure. Jian Azadi before we go into some poems. Yeah, I think the etymology of Jin Jian Azadi is at least as important, if not as um, important as the actual political uptake of that saying. So Jin in Kurdish means women, uh, Jian means life, and Azadi means freedom. And the significance there is that the stem of the word um, Jin, oh, sorry, the stem of the word Jian, life, forms the word women. So for Kurdish culture, as with many indigenous cultures, women are life-giving and life-affirming and they um, are hugely central to the the philosophy around um, the treatment of other people, the care for the land um, and... Yeah, like that cannot be overstated. So when we then translate that into English, women, life and freedom, well, well, man has the word man in it and don't need to get into those politics, that's fine. Life is is unconnected to the word women and it's just completely different. So then it loses a little bit of its, uh, I guess, its meaning or its origin story. So um, that's where that came from. And then across the Kurdish region, there is a generalised philosophy that's grown out of earth science uh, and political um, science called genealogy, which is a kind of feminism um, formed by a man called Okalan. Uh, funny that's a man, but he was always an ally with women uh, across the region. And really there are such beautiful self-sufficient areas of Kurdistan where women uh, wear the pants for want of a better word but run the most beautiful cooperatives to help out other people in the community and um, to produce food sustainably and uh, a very anti-war however of course to defend the beautiful land of Kurdistan and to defend their own babies they may have a baby in one arm and a Kalashnikov in the other just to defend their own right to live. So it's a cliche, this idea of Kurdish women tramping around the mountains with guns. But unfortunately, it's a very sad reality that a lot of mothers, daughters and sisters are literally having to take up arms to just be able to survive over there. Yeah. Well, women are central to any resistance struggle, yeah, really, absolutely. especially Indigenous um, mm-hmm. struggles. Um, and I was wondering, do you have a poem that kind of speaks to what you've just talked about? Yes, absolutely. In fact, um, I might segue here to saying that um, Bushani recently was in Melbourne. Um, we went to see 
I did, and it was just such a treasure. I honestly can't tell you um, how wonderful it was to see him, you know, in the flesh and to see the resilience and bravery that it takes to come back here after all he has endured at the hands of the Australian government as well as um, before that. But he actually wrote a poem for Cordite a few months ago called The Women of Kurdistan. And I think it's meaningful because it is written by a man Um, but it shows that centrality of women in Kurdish culture, but in um, in life in general and across indigenous cultures. So I'll just read you a little bit of it. He says, I will talk to you of Kurdistan and mountains of beautiful trees and rare flowers. I will talk of wild rivers, tall waterfalls and amazing music. I will talk of my father, the shepherd, who was inseparable from nature. I will talk of my mother, who worked too hard to find something for us to eat. And when there was none, lay our heads on her lap and sung us beautiful stories to make us sleep. I will talk to you of Kurdistan, made a battlefield, of a childhood filled with war, of 50,000 Kurds killed at once by chemical weapons, of our soil soaked in blood. I will talk to you of Kurdistan and the women I admire, the women of Kurdistan who fight, sing and dance, the women of Kurdistan who fight, sing and dance. Yeah. And I think that that's so important, Shahzade, because um, there's uh, there's this idea and this um, you know image of of the women fighting, but actually our resistance, a lot of it, is through singing and dancing and poetry as well, and um, that comes in tandem with the literal fighting that we've had to do for our um, physical erasure, is um, you know affirming our our cultural roots and our um, right to express ourselves as well. So always singing and dancing and it's no wonder that, um, you know, I got into poetry and dancing very young, (laughs) I think. Well, singing and dancing, like maybe within, under sort of global Western imperialism might might have this illusion of being devoid of politics, but it's not, it never has been. It's a way of... um, I guess it's a, it's a political manifestation, you know? Mm, absolutely. Um, yeah, and you see this a lot, like, in, um, for example, in the Amaziah communities in Morocco, mm, uh, it's the same thing. Lots of There's lots of um, poetry that's kind of orally transmitted through the generations, and this is of like course, you've got yeah. poetry from um, the time of the French resistance, and it's transmitted through women. Through Beautiful. mothers to children. Absolutely. And this is really important for resistance, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The lullabies. Yeah. I've got other things I can read you as well. Um, so another um, – I'll read you a poem that I wrote, if it's okay. This one um, was for Cordite Poetry Review. And I guess I think it's most salient because it's about my dapia, my grandma, and it's about – conversations that we have more than um, singing but there's a real musicality and dance that lends itself to this poem because she is such an animated person and and really brings life and soul to a party and lots of baklava and lots and lots of tea you know enough tea to sink a ship but um, there's a beauty and a pain that I always see in her when I see her and I call her weekly 
Um, it's called tassiography, and tassiography is an ancient art form of tea or coffee ground reading. So it's across a lot of um, Middle Eastern cultures, but particularly important to Kurdish women, I've found, um, because where we, particularly with my grandma, where she's lost three sons to Saddam Hussein, she does not know where they are, but presumed did, she likes to think about what might happen in the future or that there might be a reason behind all of this pain or that um, love can still endure. So she loves to read my coffee grounds for me and my tea leaves and, and just see if she can, you know, um, bespoke some, some happiness or some joy in the next generation, which I think is just utterly beautiful. Tassiography for my Dapier. She holds the teacup to her lips gold-rimmed, a protective eye of leaves, cardamom swirling, a caldera of hidden depths, divination in the debris. Honey-drenched, rose-scented stories run through my mind like sepia, her voice dark like tea as it seeps. Her face is cast bronze by a veil of light shining through the lace curtains. She cries into the brew, tells of her troubled eyes, a reckoning of tears what her eyes have witnessed. There are quiet moments like these where tea soothes and there is nothing left to do but to listen, sit, sip together, watch mountains bloom and tides change in our teacups. Tell us a little bit about the process of dividing the article that you wrote for Overland into thematic things mm. and what that means. Mm. I think the reason I made the separation between body and language, um, but also was looking at the frisson and the the energetic exchange between them both, is um, the way that the Kurdish language for successive generations has been criminalised and um, not allowed to be spoken in public under these uh, autocratic governments that are racist against the Kurdish people. So... I think the the resistance of the body is really important, especially right now in Iran. The women literally taking to the streets with their precious bodies and um, risking everything uh, for that, which is just unfathomable, really. And then the resistance of the language and what we can say and the meaning we can bring to things by discourse and, and talking about things or singing it or whatever it is. Um, so that's where I talked a bit about Jinjian Azadi, the etymology of that and the intent behind that. But I really enjoyed um, the poetry of Holly Mason Badra, and she actually did some beautiful poems um, for the fundraiser we did the, the, for the Lotus Foundation, which was a video that we put on Vimeo and um, people paid to subscribe to it and were very generous and we were able to raise um, $450 for the Lotus Foundation, which is a grassroots women's charity across the Kurdish region. So that was a really beautiful thing and, and all of these poets mentioned in here, a lot of them walk the walk and talk the talk and are activists as well. Um, but yeah, so Holly um, wrote a poem called A Wolf Howls or When the Poet Reads in Kurdish and I Cry. So there's an embodiment there. It's about the words and also how the words affect her physically because she's crying. And there's this excerpt here where it says, 
She was a child toggling between two languages, only Arabic in public, only Kurdish at home. What happens when your language is a crime? And as we know through this period um, in Rojilat, uh, which is what Kurdish people call Iran, uh, the criminalization of women's bodies as well as the criminalization of their language has been profound and violent. Um, and I think I loved this poem so much when Holly sent it to me um, was because I myself did not learn Arabic and did not learn Kurdish as a child, so I've had to learn as an adult. And... Um, that was due to my dad's PTSD, which again comes down to physical reactions in the body and the way trauma affects the body as well as the mind due to torture and things that happened to his body and his mind um, as a result of Saddam Hussein. But I feel like I can heal a little of that in my body and my mind through speaking Kurdish language and through writing about Kurdish poetry and through dancing, ancestral dances. So, yeah, I was really exploring how those two things are so interconnected and it makes absolute sense why an autocratic government would love to crush people's bodies as well as their language, particularly women's bodies and women's use of language because it has such power to liberate and to galvanise and mobilise a people that they don't want to exist, you know? Sadly. Yeah, especially after 79, right? Absolutely. While I love um, old-fashioned Kurdish poetry, um, I also am really into contemporary Kurdish poets. And you find that often these contemporary um, women Kurdish poets who have kind of become my friends via the internet mostly, um, they have a real dissonance around their language and their culture because they are part of a wide diaspora often. And um, the two, I guess, most current Kurdish female poets uh, live in America now. Um, and I've just mentioned Holly Mason Badger, but another one who's a friend of mine is called Tracy Fuad. And she lives in Minnesota and she's, I guess you could say, half American and half Kurdish, um, a bit like I'm half Celtic and half Kurdish and whatever else I am. Um, but she wrote a wonderful collection um, that I was able to review this year called About Blank. And in the internet, About Blank is um, a website usually that cannot be found or um, a bit of a, a kind of... Um, yeah, like a, a dead end in the internet, um, so unidentifiable. And so she writes a lot about um, not feeling one with one culture, not feeling one with the other, but not in a negative way, just that this is the experience of being a woman of diaspora and that, um, yeah, this is the pain but also the beauty of it. Um, so I highly recommend that connect, uh, collection if anybody would like to explore um, female Kurdish diaspora poets. Um, but I really love this poem by her called Thistle where she explores um, the, the real discomfort of this dissonance but in a really inspiring way. And um, 
again, we come back to the body and the fear that autocratic regimes have of, of women's bodies. And it says, I can't tell you how I found war to be sexy. You would only understand the shrapnel in your knee. And I can only think about my body turning crude when my grandfather called. Um, and it's playful. It's flirtatious. It goes on and talks a lot about her ownership of her own body and her experience in her body. Um, there's even a collection in that, uh, sorry, there's even a poem in that collection which talks about um, using a vibrator. And, you know, it's very, very embodied and very, um, yeah, I guess like uh, totally open and permissive about um, women of the diaspora and their experience in their bodies. Um, and I, I think that that's really beautiful and important to acknowledge that the more, I guess, I feel if I make my body a site of trauma and a site of war and devoid of eroticism and joy, it's like what Audre Lorde has said about the power of the erotic, then I'm also um, denying and depriving myself of the freedom that I should be allowed as a Kurdish woman. So it's all very complex. Um, but yeah, that is to say that I think it's so important that we celebrate um, women's bodies and um, their experience in their bodies um, across all cultures because the alternative to that is the punishment of women's bodies, which, as we know, leads to situations like what's happening in Iran right now. Yeah. Or the like carcerality around Absolutely. that, the patriarchal, which is very patriarchal kind of. Absolutely. You know, well, with all these patriarchal states, right? Like it's a very. Um, Hide them away. Yeah, yeah. And also to have women's bodies as the battleground for Absolutely. codes of morality. Absolutely. To control populations, you yeah. know? Like, yeah. And you know, there's that really interesting um, tradition in the protests where in Iran, where women have been taking off their hijab, obviously doing things to their hair, but also um, putting lipstick on and showing their lips. And um, I saw some footage my dad sent me of a woman doing a kind of snake dance, uh, belly dance on the train, on the tram in Iran recently. And it's these little powerful messages that these women are giving about you don't own, you can't control my body. And also, you know, um, I love myself for who I am that are so powerful and so important. And the bravery of these women just astound me, frankly. <laughs> And that was Kurdish Celtic writer and dancer Leila Lois sharing some Kurdish poetry and insights in honour of the Jinjian Azadi protests across Iran that stem from the Kurdish struggle. Later in the month, we'll continue this conversation about Jinjian Azadi with Jasmine Barzani, who's a Rojelati Kurdish self-described anti-fascist troublemaker where she'll talk about the historical and radical political contexts of the Kurdish struggle. And that's all we have time for today. We'd love to hear your comments or thoughts about the program, so please send us an email to womenontheline at gmail.com or give us a call at 3CR on 03 9419 8377. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. 
Women on the Line is a national feminist current affairs program and we're broadcast across the country on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Kavara and all our programs can be downloaded from 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. I'm Shahrazad Blue and tune in next week to hear more Women on the Line content. Thanks for joining us today.